0: We are repentant. We are grateful. We are redeemed. We are
1: prayerful. We are First Baptist Church.
2: Good morning. When you woke up this morning, did you go, Man, if only, I wish I had a, if I could just, or did you say, Thank you, God, for another day? Wake up this morning saying, Yet another day to praise your good name and to tell others the same. So we begin worship this morning. Let's calibrate our hearts, our minds, everything that we have heavenward this morning. Hear from the word of the Lord. This is Lamentations 3, 22 through 24, and this should help us get started. The Lord's loving kindness in, indeed never cease. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great! is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I have hope in Him. Is that your testimony? Well, let's sing that together, everyone. Great is thy faithfulness. Hymn 54. Stand to your feet. Let's worship together. I love those words. Amen? Amen. Would you welcome those around you in worship this morning, being grateful for God's faithfulness.
1: Well, good morning. Uh, Let me welcome you to worship as we worship together in spirit and in truth. It is good news that we
3: can gather with one
1: another. And I hope you have that same sense of joy that you have an opportunity just to be together one day out of the week to sing songs, to pray, to remind us of those beautiful truths that we cling to in Jesus. It's good to be one with one another um, if you're new with us today, uh, let me introduce myself. My name is Danny Panter. I'm one of the associate pastors on staff, and it is a privilege to be a part of this church family, and we couldn't be more thrilled that you are spending time with us in worship today. Um, we love you so much that we have created a special little little piece of paper for you. It says Connect Here. If you would just can honor us by filling this out, and we would love to begin a friendship with you and know how we can take next steps in building that relationship. So if you could just fill this out for us, and later on in our time of worship, an offering plate would come your way, and we simply ask that you put that in there. But we are delighted that you're here, and we're delighted that we're all together to worship, to proclaim the truths of Jesus together. We're desperate for it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your truth, your grace, your mercy towards us. Thank you for your son Jesus who lived, died, rose again, that we might have life everlasting. May we exalt him highly today. And it's his name we ask these things. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen.
2: Yea, indeed. At the end of the service, um, at the 8.30, I've had so many announcements that, that I forgot to just acknowledge um, Pastor Danny and him being here in the service, so I'm just going to go ahead and do that right now. Pastor Danny's with us today. Uh, and I just I just want to thank God that for the many ways that he has blessed First Baptist Church. And, and chief among those are pastors who love the Word of God. Amen? And that the ability for them to stand up here and to have heard from him. And be led by the Spirit to teach and challenge and, and I- exhort his, his good work. So uh, what a privilege it is to, to be here under such great teaching. So Pastor Danny, welcome. We are glad to have you with us today. Um, Pastor Chris is across the street doing the same thing. And I'm just so grateful. Um, so we continue to worship now and read this wonderful psalm, Psalm 119. Um, we've been marching through it all summer long, and we're coming to the end the last couple weeks. And I asked Pastor Chris if if maybe at the end of August we could stand up and all do Psalm 119 from memory. <laughs> and he said, sure, you first. So... Um, but... But I love how this scripture just lifts high the word of God. And it just gives thanks for all that it does in our lives. So follow along as I read Psalm 119, 153 to 160. Look upon my affliction and rescue me. For I do not forget your law. Plead my cause and redeem me. Revive me according to your word. Salvation is far from the wicked. For they do not seek your statutes. Great are your mercies, O Lord. Revive me according to your ordinances. Many are my persecutors and my adversaries, yet I do not turn aside from your testimonies. I behold the treacherous and loathe them, because they do not keep your word. Consider how I love your precepts. Revive me, O Lord, according to your loving kindness. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. Let's continue to worship, everybody. If you'll take your hymnal and turn to hymn number 15, Come, Thou Fount of Every Blessing. We, we have so much to be thankful for. We need not look anywhere else. Let's stand and sing together.
1: Kids, you come on join me down here for kids time if you would. I promise I will not spill these on the floor. It is always so good to be in this place with you, to get to see your faces. It is so wonderful to see you and it's a privilege To be able to talk about God and His Word to you. Now, yes, you can see it says donuts, but I I, I really hate to burst your bubble. It's empty. This is empty. We call this a prop. Right? There are no donuts in here. But I just wanted to ask you a very important question. Um, Have you ever had a box of donuts in your house or maybe you went somewhere and there's a box of donuts and you had one donut and then maybe you had two, and you reached in for the third, and your mom or your dad said, wait, two's enough. They said, you can't have a third one. Has that ever happened before? Have they ever told you, you probably need to stop at two? Let me ask you, did that kind of frustrate you a little bit? No, some of you are like, no, because I know exactly what I need to eat and not eat. But you know what? I bet you some of you could have probably, if you're like me, could probably eat the whole box. Correct, you're exactly right, exactly right. But you know what? The good thing about good parents is that they know what is best for us even when we can't see it or don't know it for ourselves. And sometimes they say, no. No, don't take a third one, don't take a third one. So here's the important truth I want you to remember. God knows what is good and best for you always. Even when you can't see it. Right? Even when you might face a challenge in life or you might want something in life and God says, no. But I want to encourage you to trust a God that's big enough, His eyes are big enough, that He can see and He knows what is best for you always so trust the lord and his goodness for your life okay let's pray father thank you so much that you are good and that your will is pleasing and perfect help us always to follow you and trust you in jesus name we pray amen you may return to your seats
2: I confess my disappointment that there are no donuts in there (laughs) but I'm I'm gonna let that go. So this next hymn is a perfect segue to that and it asks two questions. Are we content? Are we satisfied with Jesus and Jesus alone? And then the the next question is (laughs) when he examines our lives, are we living for him fully? Are we loving him wholly and completely? Is our lives a testimony to his great goodness? I'm satisfied. Let's let us let Jesus say the same thing of, of our lives, how we're living it for him. Hymn 472, let's stand together, seeing satisfied with Jesus. standing as we prepare to read from the word together
1: this morning I'm going to buck tradition and only read one verse instead of all 17 verses Um, and so let's read that together the 10th commandment Exodus 2017 you shall not covet your neighbor's house you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. You may be seated. Hopefully, you feel the same way that I do, that it really has been a privilege to be in the Ten Commandments these past several weeks. It's really been an opportunity to simmer, hasn't it? To take words that many of us, not all of us, are very familiar with and just let it soak. And if you're like me, there's a tendency to take words that you're very used to hearing and take them for granted. And so it's been refreshing to kind of laser in and focus on these very, uh, these very common words, at least to us. For many of us who've grown up in the life of the church that we're very used to, it's been a tremendous a blessing but let me just remind you um, that these 10 commandments with them God ushered in this covenant relationship with his people that he would call his treasure I want to be your God and you'll be my people and you will be my treasure out of all the nations on the earth and God was initiating this covenant relationship with the revelation or the giving of his word and this preamble of the law which we call the Ten or the Ten Commandments. God's desire for His people and even His church, ultimately fulfilled in Jesus, is that we would know restoration the way God intended us to know Him um, and to know God's blessing. He said, I have a land to give to you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Obey me, love me, follow me, believe me, and I will meet every need. I will provide for you I will give you cities that you never built and I will give you vineyards that you never planted. God's desire for his people is for them to know his blessing and the law the word that he began to give to them was that initiation into that covenant blessing. Of course we all also know that those 10 not just the 10 but all of the law condemns us. It reminds us of our brokenness, but the heart of the law is is a relationship with God to know Him, love Him, follow Him, obey Him that we might know God's rich blessing and relationship with Him. But, the 10th commandment. Here we are. The 10th commandment. This commandment immediately goes deeper than the previous four that have focused on very external behavior, haven't they? You shall not murder or you shall not, Uh, bear false witness against your neighbor you shall not steal all of those were behaviors that existed outside the person but the 10th commandment doesn't let us get away with anything Um, we might be able to pass by the other four and say oh we don't do that we don't behave that way but when we come to the 10th commandment it goes deeper than the previous four at least on the surface. And it exposes very clearly the nature of our heart. It helps us expose the source of all the behaviors of the previous four or the previous nine that war against us. And so the Tenth Commandment is a warning that we can't stay skin deep. We have to go to the heart, which Jesus taught us very clearly in Matthew chapter 5. We murder, we deceive, we steal, we disobey parents because all of that springs out of this covetousness that's in the heart. We make idols because we covet. And so this commandment doesn't let us get by. Doesn't let us get by. It says you need to go deeper. You need to go deeper. The questions that I want to ask us today and discover answers in the word of God are three where does coveting even start where does it begin in the human heart Um, what do we do uh, when we face cut coveting or the temptation to covet or how do we overcome the temptation to covet in our life so we have this 10th commandment and we want to find out where does that even begin how do we overcome it Through the grace of God. And so, if you will bear with me, we're going to move from Exodus to Romans chapter 8, and we're going to begin in verse 16. Romans chapter 8, verse 16 says this The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, comma, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Now, Romans chapter 8 is incredibly rich. We could spend a lot of time on these words, um, but I really want you to laser in on that last clause where he says, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. It's here in suffering that coveting is most likely to take root in the human heart. That's exactly where it starts, and that's where Paul points to. Coveting, or the temptation to covet, points to suffering. And Paul makes very clear, what I really appreciate Paul is this, is that he makes very clear that suffering is a normal part of the Christian life, living in a very broken, unrestored world, in the very same way that Jesus did. We know that Jesus didn't live in ease and Paul says in the same way you will face suffering you will face suffering as a believer and yet we are called in the midst of suffering to live and to faithfully follow Jesus in a very world that brings pain and hurt all up until he returns all up until he returns and we know that some all of us suffer but some suffer more than others. There is pain and heartache in our world. And so Paul would say that's where coveting can begin. It's not unlike um, the phrase that Jesus said um, concerning those who suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Jesus said this in Matthew 14, 13. The one who perseveres to the end will be saved. Even Jesus acknowledges that the Christian life is patterned by the need to persevere. Hardship and suffering. Paul would certainly agree. Aren't you grateful that Paul didn't whitewash the Christian life and just kind of said, "You know what? When you become a Christian, you put your faith in Jesus, who died for your sin and rose victorious over sin and death. That man, your life is just going to be easy. Everything's just going to come together. You're going to get that car you want, that house you want, that that marriage you want, that relationship you want." That's not what Paul says and that's not what Jesus says. Paul, both Paul and Jesus say your Christian life and until Jesus returns is going to hurt at times and some more than others. I'm grateful that Jesus and Paul didn't whitewash the Christian life but really told us how it was. But Paul alludes to three kinds of real suffering. Let me just quickly point those out. The first is Life circumstances. Paul would say you suffer when the life circumstances dictate it. Financial hardship, a, a broken marriage, uh, illness, death. Um, all of these things are circumstantial events in our life that lead us to hurt and heartache and wish for something else. Another one is persecution. You know, Paul gives a huge list of how all the ways that he was persecuted. Attacked by dogs, stoned, beaten multiple times, thrown into prison. Paul says you suffer when you're persecuted for following Jesus. Not many of us know what that's like. In fact, none of us know it to the degree that Paul did. So we have life circumstances. We have real persecution. And then last but not least, this is the one where many of us fall in is just everyday temptation. We struggle... With our flesh that just, just is at war with the spirit of God in us, right? And and the scriptures would say that's struggle, that's hardship, and until Jesus comes back, that's where you're going to be. Hebrews chapter twelve four says, "Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted." Verse four in your struggle against sin. You have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And so the writer of Hebrews would acknowledge that your, when you face temptation, when you wrestle with the flesh, it's a form of suffering where you have to choose Jesus over the promises of that sin. It's in these places of suffering, heartache, longing, that we can tend to lean towards discontentment our life hurts it's hard we long for other things and paul would say it's in those moments of real suffering that you lean towards discontentment i'm not satisfied and it when discontentment just sits and stews covetousness the temptation to covet it comes into play and if you say yes to that you begin to look and long for that other thing to relieve you of the suffering that you're experiencing and so you begin to use words like this if only i could have that car if only i could have a husband like her husband If if only all these things would fit together in my life, I wouldn't feel the way that I do. If only I had His health. Paul would say in those moments of suffering, we are prone to wander. Right? That's the anatomy of the temptation to covet. To long for something else in the place of the promises of God. Paul has another plan for us. He would say, don't stay there. Don't stay there. Wrestle, fight there. Don't stay there. But what? on what basis does Paul say that? Where does he, where does he make his case that you don't have to stay in discontentment? You don't have to stay in that place uh, where you long for things other than the promises or the fulfillment of the promises of God. I want you to go with me now to Romans 8, 31 through 32. Goodness, these, these, these words in Romans 8 are incredible when they talk about the work of Jesus and the promise of God through the Son. Now listen to this. So Paul is pointing back to suffering that we face in real life as as believers. And he says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Now stop there just for a moment. Paul is saying, now get this, Romans. Roman church, understand this. Did not God send His Son? And did not His Son live without sin and struggle against sin with victory, saying no to the promises of sin and yes to His Father? Did He not go to the cross because of your sin and did He not raise from the grave victorious over sin and death? Did He do that? Did, did the Father spare His own Son? for you and for his glory answers no he did not he gave his own son then what else comma how will he not also with him graciously give us all things paul is trying to communicate to this church and to the church today that If God gave up his son for our desperation to be redeemed, for our forgiveness, don't you think he also has your greatest good in mind? All things. Now and forevermore. God has all eternity in mind for you, including the present, and it is good, and it is pleasing, and it is perfect, and it will be fulfilled when Jesus returns. All of it will be completed. And so Paul reminds us that that Jesus did not only provide you forgiveness of sin, but He is promising to restore everything. All things. He will give you all things. God has all things in view for you. And it is good. And it is pleasing. And it is perfect. That's where Paul puts his foundation. Is that even when I face suffering, all things... Graciously, and the the word graciously just quickly destroys entitlement. Right? Graciously gives us all things through Christ. We can be inclined to think, well, I deserve that house, I deserve that car, I deserve that bank account. And the health wealth gospel would say that. Paul does not say that. He says, you, with anything we receive from the Father from this point through eternity, is graciously given to us. We don't deserve it one bit. It's by God's grace. But Paul stakes everything on this claim that not only are we redeemed and forgiven, but he will graciously give us all things. You know, Jesus kind of described the same sentiment this way. He said, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. This is Jesus saying, listen, God is the perfect Father. He knows always what is best for you, and he will. His plan is to give His good and His perfect will to you. Don't doubt it. If you know how to give good, good gifts, so does the Father. Know how to give good gifts. Paul would say it another way. He would say rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in every circumstance, even the hard ones, he would say, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. God has not and will not overlook anything in your life. He graciously, graciously gives us all things, even in the face of suffering. We know Paul had to learn this truth. This wasn't something that just happened to Paul. He had to learn this the hard way just like we do. Philippians 4, 10-13 Uh, He's telling the Philippian church, I know you want to meet my needs. He's in prison. He's in prison and he has needs. And he says, I know you want to come and meet my needs, but you don't have opportunity. Verse 11 of chapter 4, he says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation, whatever situation, I am to be content I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul had to learn in real life, real hardship, real pain, real suffering, how to discard or move beyond discontentment into a place of trusting in the will of God. That God's going to graciously give him all things, if not this side of eternity, on the other side of eternity, when Jesus comes back and makes all things new. Paul said, I had to learn how to get to that place. I had to learn how to trust in the strength of God. I had to learn how to cling and fight to hold on to the promises of God. So how do we do that? How do we not just read those words that he will graciously give us all things uh, that God is at work in our life, and that His will is pleasing, good and perfect. How do we just not read it, but apply it to our life in the midst of hardship? Go to Romans chapter 8, verses 18, and we'll just start there and see how far we can get with that passage. Again okay, Again, these verses are intended, in our case, to help us to overcome the temptation to covet. And need that, if only, right? For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, we have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Paul is describing that very moment or season of suffering He's describing that moment where we're tempted to groan, either one way or the other. Uh, We're tempted to hope for one thing or the other, and so Paul is describing that very, very moment where temptation comes. We groan. We all groan. We wait. We all wait. Uh, We eagerly wait. We long for better things. We're, We're not okay with the suffering in our life, nor should we be. Just be okay with suffering in our life, but. The temptation is that in the moment of groaning, we either groan and wait for the fulfillment of the promises of God, or we groan and covet for the thing that we think we need to make us happy. So that's where it happens. That's where it happens. In this case, it says that creation groans for the glory that is to be revealed, it waits for the resurrection of the saints. So creation and the saints groan differently. They don't covet. They don't covet. They don't say, if only I had this, I'd be happy. In that moment of suffering and that heartache and and tension, um, both creation and the church and the saints, if they groan the way God wants them to groan in the midst of suffering, they look to the promises of God. They wait for the fulfillment of the promises of God. Their hope, their eyes go there rather than an immediate fulfillment of a need that we think we might have. Jeff Bezos is the um, owner and founder of Amazon. And it it began in the 1990s and for years, for years, it never turned a profit. But every time he would meet with his investors, he would say, um, ladies and gentlemen, we're in this for the long haul. We're not looking for short gain. We're looking for long game so don't don't just put uh, fix all your eyes on on the hardship and the losses right now i want you to look beyond that to the long game where there will be great great reward of course we know jeff bezos is between what day it lands on he's the richest man on the planet and his heart or his mind was looking towards a long game and that's the invitation of paul he would say christian are you playing the short game or the long game If you play the short game, then you're always only looking to meet an immediate need, which leads to coveting. But no, Paul says don't do that. Paul says like creation, like the saints, hold on to the fulfillment of God's promises to see you through those moments of temptation and suffering. Hold on to them, fight for them, cling to them. Do whatever it takes to cling to the promises of God and not give in to the false promises of a new car, a new house, a bigger bank account, a new husband, or a new wife. Don't do it. Don't do it. Jesus said, in this world you have trouble. Listen to these promises. In this world you have trouble. Be at peace, I have overcome the world. Jesus said to the disciples, I will never leave you or forsake you. Philippians 4.19, Paul said, and my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.37, for you are more than conquerors in Christ. Will we cling to the promises of God? Will we cling to the promises of God? Will our eyes be big enough to hold on to those promises. To look beyond. Not, not dismiss the suffering. The word of God doesn't tell us just to resign to suffer. No, we pray. We fight. We seek change. But not at the expense of the promises of God. But through that wrestling, through the suffering, we hold on to the promises of God. God, your promises and their fulfillment will see me through you and are greater than the suffering I face right now. It's just like Paul, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says, I have a thorn in my side. He's hurting, he's suffering. We don't know what it is. It could have been health problems. We don't know, but this is what he did. He said, I went to the Lord three times. I wrestled, I fought, I, I didn't resign to my suffering and hurt. I went to the Lord, I told the Lord, this is what I want, this is what I need. Take it away. But at the end of the day, the Lord said, no, my grace is sufficient for you and your weakness so that all the more my son might be glorified in your life. And Paul said, okay. Okay, I will hold on to that promise that even though I hurt and I suffer, your son will be exalted in my life so that when I press on, I can say, it's all about him and it's not about me. Paul's invitation to us is exactly the same. When you groan, will you covet? Or will you fight and wrestle to hold on to the promises of God? Yes, fight for change. Look for restoration. Find healing. Fight that cancer. Work on your marriage. Do whatever is required, but at the end of the day, you look to the promises of God for your hope and strength to take another step. Don't covet. Trust in the promises of God. Father God of grace and glory, uh, we're grateful, Lord, that your son, your son left a model for us how to live this life, to look to you, to follow you, to obey you. Give us the strength through your mercy and grace to trust in your promises over the promises of sin. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Deacons, you can begin to prepare for the Lord's Supper I can't imagine a better way um, to focus on the promises of God than participating in the Lord's Supper together. God did this on purpose, right? He said, I want you uh, regularly to remember who who I am and what I did on the cross and the resurrection. Will you remember? And he says, not only remember what I did so that you could have forgiveness, but remember... Oh, my promises remember there's a reason that paul says do this until he comes proclaiming the death of christ until he comes what better way to be reminded that you need to hold on to the promises of god in your life whatever hardship you might be facing and so we know that that night jesus gathered his disciples together to start a new tradition the word of god tells us that he took the bread and he broke it. And after he broke it, he gave it to his disciples and he said, This is my body broken for you. As often you do this, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he took the cup and he gave it to his disciples. told his uh, disciples that this is a new covenant in my blood which has poured out for many drink this as often as you do it do it in remembrance of me father once again we say thank you for your son jesus who lived a life without sin and died on the cross rose from the grave that we might have victory over sin and death in our own life So may we always remember and cling to the promises of your Son. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. We're going to move into a time of response and our expectation is that all of us are called to respond. One way or another, these altars are open for you to come pray. Um, We invite you to put faith and trust in Christ. Obey the gospel. Repent and believe. Would you come? Would you be a part of this church family? Join us in this effort uh, to love and be a a source of light and hope in this city and the nations. Come be a part of what we're doing. But you spend time. Is your faith big enough to cling to the promises of God in the midst of the heartaches that you face? Let's stand together. Let's sing. Let's respond.
2: You may be seated. As you are, let me just read this prayer prompt. You'll see it on the, on the walls and in your bulletin. So this is really to set our minds for tonight's time for teaching and our call to witness in this world. Lord, help us conduct ourselves with wisdom toward all, but especially toward those with an unbelieving heart. Open the door for us to share the gospel with clarity, humility, and compassion. Help us be diligent in prayer, Seeking to see and recognize how you are working in those around us. And thank you for trusting us with these spiritual appointments. Continue to worship through giving.
0: Hello everyone, my name is Byron Pitts. I'm the director of Community Missions and Evangelism. I just want to say I'm so grateful for all of you. I'm grateful for what Community Missions is in our church family. And, you know, years ago, Christmas care, we're already talking about Christmas, yes. (laughs) Christmas care was more than just delivering boxes to a home. It was also emphasizing building relationships with that family, continuing life with them, showing them the love of Jesus. And I hope to bring that legacy into the present. Children's Hunger Fund is a national organization with a vision and a means to help us do just that. This year, we will raise the necessary funding to fill these boxes and to pack them, and they will help us to, they will give us the resources and bring them here to us so we can do this and pack more boxes than ever before. They will also train every Christmas care volunteer on how to use a box of food to build a long-term relationship with a family that extends beyond the Christmas season with the goal of transforming every home we engage with the gospel. Jesus has called us to meet real needs and be a witness to his steadfast love, not just to a few of us. He called all of us. This Christmas season, will you help us put real caring back into Christmas care as we partner with Children's Hunger Fund? On September 7th, Children's Hunger Fund leaders are coming to FBCSA 4th Street Crossing to train us and help us plan the best way to reach our communities. We will begin a new journey of bringing the light of Jesus to those in need through Christmas care and beyond. Remember, it's not just about the box, it's about the family. Come learn, come join a team, come make disciples together. You can register now in Unity Hall, online, and lunch and childcare is provided. I will see you there. Thank you.
2: Thank you, Byron. As I said in the first service, let it be known that the first Christmas announcement did not come from me. <laughs> so. We do have several announcements today that I want to call your attention to. Many opportunities to serve this family in our life together. Tonight, I've already mentioned it, is our time for teaching. It's the second installment of Pastor Chris's witness. You know, he's been walking through these three words that God has given him. Repent, witness, and disciple. If you missed the first one, go online to fbcsa.org and you can watch that one in preparation for tonight. But please, this is an all church thing. This is something a word that the pastor has for us all. So be here tonight, 6 o'clock in the sanctuary. Do you know that worship begins really well when you wake up. But as you come on Sunday morning, the first people you meet through the doors start setting the tone for how we will worship. And perhaps you're looking for an opportunity to serve here in this church. Let me tell you, greeters, ushers, those that welcome people are a critical part of how we worship well. So It doesn't take a lot, maybe once a month, once a quarter, where you just stand and greet people. You can do this. So you can go online to find your spot, or you can go out to the Ask Me desk and say, man, I can say hi. So please be a part of that. It's a critical need that we have. On August 16th, friends, we're going to have our main event. This is something we do every fall to get ready for the coming school year and academic year if we look at Bible study, new teachers to bring uh, teachers we've had before and train them and to equip them with all opportunities to do their very best. And so we want to, to offer that to you at 6.30 um, on August 16th. You can look online at uh, fbcsa.org slash main event for more information about that. Also, you know that if you're a parent... Every generation we have offers new challenges and new potential pitfalls for our children. And we live in a very digital age. So we, through the the Next Gen Ministries and our first kids, are offering Parenting in the Digital World, August 23rd. It'll be in 4th Street Crossing. And just to help equip you as parents to how, with all that's coming at our kids, how are we going to face that? And it's it's critical. So I hope that you'll be a part of that. You can register online uh, for that as well. Our Women's Tuesday Morning Bible Study will kick off August 27th at 9.30 in the morning. You'll need to register for that, but you can see that. But just know that that's coming and be a part of that if you are available to to be a part of that as well. Also, let's look at these beautiful flowers here um, before me. These help us celebrate. Uh, they're to the, given to the glory of God and in grateful celebration of the 40th anniversary of Art and Linda Scott. So we just really want to celebrate and be, be grateful to God for that. Every time, every time we gather together and we acknowledge this, it's just an affirmation that God cares about strong marriages. So we just want to affirm that and we are so grateful for that. And it's my privilege to help welcome into the world this beautiful little girl, Daniela V. Uh, she was born in June and she's the, the daughter of Jose and Justine Casizzi and so we are happy to, to welcome her. You know, many of you sitting out here will be her Sunday school teachers. We'll hold her in the nursery. We'll teach her in vacation Bible school. And so it's our privilege to to welcome and and let this family know that we care about, about their family. So now we are dismissed to go and do the good work that God has called us to do. Let's stand together and sing Tell It Out with Gladness. God bless you. See you tonight.